Hey there, everybody. Good morning. Today is Friday, October 15th. Man, time flies, guys. Well, we've got the month of spooky stuff happening, Halloween coming up, so let's talk about some pretty crazy things going on in the industry this week, and we're going to have some pretty serious talks about the zero-trust uh, security model as well as a interesting botnet that turned DVRs into Monero crypto miners. So that and more coming up on this week's podcast. Sit back, get ready, and let's get this thing started. back to another episode of Hacker News. <laughs> We're going to have some fun today talking about some interesting things. Um, first of which is going to be the ever so popular but not very well known, I guess, outside of the cybersecurity industry um, as something called the Zero Trust Security Model. Now, there are quite a few people that are familiar with this and what it really is and what the purpose of it is. But we're going to break it down today and talk about it a little bit further just because, you know, it's it's something that people should probably start looking into now that we're going into the quantum computing era and we're starting to put some more time into other things as far as innovation goes in the software industry. So um, innovation, that is a very loose term, uh, kind of talking in cybersecurity and also in, in product consumer uh, creations like the iPhone or um, other technological advances. Without without further ado, though, you know, honestly, we're just going to jump straight into it. We're just going to start talking about the zero trust security model, right? So, what in essence, what is the zero trust security model? If you're not familiar with it. Um, it's a security posture, uh, and we already basically assume that an attacker is inside of our network trying to figure out how they can escalate through the network and um, how they can increase their privilege, their privileged access throughout the network to see if they can access things they're not supposed to touch. So this would be a pretty good, um, pretty good, I guess, connection over to if you have a rogue employee or if you have... Honestly, anytime an intruder could be on your network, like if, if a piece of, if a uh, an endpoint was infected with malware or was compromised, that would definitely play into this. Um, so anyway, you already assume that there's somebody inside your network, right? It frames access management from a very fundamental level of delegated trust, uh, meaning that everybody is in the same playing field except for a select few and those few people are the ones who decide who gets access to what when and how long um there there are so so many reasons why it might be important for you to put this into your company or even into your daily life maybe at home you allow access to certain things i think that doing it at home may be really really overboard <laughs> i don't i don't really see much of a use case for it at home however but inside of a corporate structure or a company uh, even a small business, this is probably a smart idea. Um, you know, we've had a lot of people who have kind of gone rogue, quote unquote, per se, over the past few years, who get the instant yearning that they got fired and immediately they're going to hop on the network and grab as many documents as they can and just release them to the world. Um, it's a time and time thing that has happened over and over again. So 
uh, I think it's a good time to start talking about this stuff and just at least get some awareness out there for it. Um, so let's just take a look at the posture and uh, basically a little scenario. Um, let's just imagine that you're a kid who is wanting to go and play with your friends at their house, right? And you have a parent who is always watching over you and wanting to know where you go, when you go, what you're doing. You know, you know the typical parent stuff, right? <laughs> we, we all know it. We've all been there. We've all had that. Um, and in order to do that, you know, the kid has to ask the adult or your parent uh, for permission to go to your friend's house. And it can be translated the same way as a user on your network asking for permission to access a certain asset, right? So you could tie this into, I don't know, maybe a developer needs access to a certain server that has some production uh, some production assets on it that he needs to tamper with or edit or, or do whatever. He would end up talking to the network administrator and would go through and ask the administrator for... Uh, access to this specific thing because it's you know it's it's vital it's mission critical they have to know, you know this developer has to get this thing fixed or worked on immediately and what the network administrator is going to do is once you ask for that permission uh, they're going to say okay well I see you need access to this one what is your reasoning two wh what do you need access to three how long do you need the access so they need a few ideal questions and there may be more as you kind of tailor this to your own company, your own business, but the basics just need to be established. And once the network administrator sees that, they say, okay, this looks like a totally valid reason uh, why you need access to that. So I'm going to grant you access to this web server for, I don't know, let's say we're going to give you access for three hours. And those three hours, you have unlimited access to that one web server. And then once they're up, it, the access gets revoked. Then you have to go through the whole process again. And it's, whole, it's a whole process. But in the long run, if it could save you millions of dollars from a you know data breach or somebody leaking a bunch of files or whatever it may be, you know it's a pretty smart idea. It's proactive. It's preemptive. And it's not a bad idea to think about. Now... Not only is this useful for any kind of attack that's going to be happening inside your network, right, like a rogue employee, but this can be useful in a bunch of different areas. So not only can you do this, you know, we, we already implement this model in our lives every day. Like I said, the kid and the parent, um, really just breaking down that analogy and talking about it, you know, that, that's already a thing that we do. You know, kids can run off and go do stuff sometimes without telling their parents, but their parents maybe not all the time, but a lot of times they'll get worried. They'll say, okay, something's happening. Something's not normal. Something's not right. What do I need to do? How do I need to respond? And that's what incident response kind of does whenever there's something happening on the network that they don't know what's going on, especially in this kind of security model, this kind of environment. So it's really important to have this in place. Um, again, this is all opinionated. This is my opinion, but it's super, super helpful for you to keep a bird's eye level view and a nitpicky view over what's happening on your network on a minute level so you know everything that's going on. So if someone starts making unauthorized calls to certain web servers or to certain assets and they weren't approved, you know immediately to send the team there and start looking, okay, instant response, let's go see what happened. SOC, let's go see what happened. You know, it's just it's a really good way to go about addressing a lot of security issues that could arise from the internal side of things.
And I mean, even speaking furthermore into this conversation, right, uh, with quantum computing that's coming out, you know, things are going to change a lot in industry and there's going to be a lot of different uh, ways that people go about securing their machines. You know, quantum computing is going to bring so, so many more uh, security aspects into play just because solely how strong a quantum computer is, you know, it it outperforms a classical computer, which is just all the machines that we use right now, like a MacBook or a Windows machine, you know, you name it, whatever it may be, a quantum computer can do so much more than that, which is awesome. And we love that as in consumers, which is yeah, as, as we should. But if you really look into what that can do, especially on the cybersecurity front, that poses a pretty big issue. And that issue kind of starts revolving around the fact of, okay, well, if we have this strong, super, super strong computer attacking our network, um, how are we going to protect it? How are we going to be able to secure everything? Because we won't. That's the answer. We won't be able to secure everything. We won't be able to secure anything unless we're using another quantum computer. So this kind of evolves around this whole, you know, we're going through a whole revolution right now in computing at the moment, and we're about to move from classical to quantum, and it's not going to be an overnight thing. It's going to take a little bit of time. There's already a lot of research going into it. There are quite a few companies that are doing this stuff, but understand that once quantum computers are a thing, your computer that you're using right now will be completely useless in terms of security. Anybody who tries to attack your machine with a quantum computer can get anything they want out of the computer because all of the encryption standards right now in the classical computers are just they're just not strong it what would take a normal computer you know thousands of millions of billions of years to crack or to break into would take a quantum computer only about five seconds if that so if that doesn't lay out the groundwork of how strong these machines are, I, I don't know what else possibly could, but that's just another reason why we should start looking towards this zero trust security model um, as we're making this revolution right now, just because there's a lot of stuff going on in the industry um, as far as ransomware attacks go and other things that's of our concern. So um, that's just my two cents on this specific topic. I think it's a really good idea to talk about not only just with the community in general, but also with maybe fellow CISOs or um, other security staff within your own particular business or company. Um, but yeah, so that's that's my that's my two cents. Um, but now we'll we'll actually break into a different topic, which is the article we talked about in the very beginning. So in the beginning, for a split second, we we talked about how DVRs were used to get turned into Monero crypto miners, right? Well, unfortunately, the new NecroPython exploit targets visual tool DVRs used in surveillance systems. So surveillance systems are under attack. I swear, I don't think they ever stop getting under attack. <laughs> um, the threat group Freakouts Necrobot has developed a new trick, infecting visual tools DVRs with a Monero miner. Um, so if you aren't familiar with what a botnet is, a botnet is just literally a bunch of computers that are all compromised, hacked, whatever you want to call it, and they're all working together off of a C2, which is a, I guess, C2S, command and control server, a C2 server. Um, I don't know why I said C2S, I don't know where I pulled that from, but um, command and control server. 
And that basically is like the head honcho, the boss that tells all the little computers that are infected um, what to do. So Juniper Threat Labs researchers have issued a report detailing new activities from Freakout, also known as NecroPython and Python.IRCBot in late September. And uh, researchers basically kind of noticed that the more recent versions of the NecroBot scraped or scrapped its previous reliance on a hard-coded URL for a domain generation algorithm, or a DGA for short, for added persistence. Now, I'm going to get kind of nitty-gritty here for just a split second, um, and we're just going to talk about the CVEs that were listed under this. I'm just going to list out the CVEs really, really fast. So we have, in, in order, we have CVE 2019-1272-5, then we have CVE 2020 28 188 and then we have 2020 25 49 4 then we have 2020 155 68 then we have CVE 2021 2900 and those are the five different CVEs that were listed under this um, again this is also all done through a an article that was posted on ThreatPost that kind of covers this, but the head of Juniper Threat Labs told ThreatPost that security teams need security that's equipped to handle DGA domain attempts. Um, so as long as you're ahead of that, you should be, if not in the clear, you should be a, a good step ahead against this threat. Um, and so to tap things off here at the very end of this article, a uh, nice little quote from Hahad. Uh, it says, the very existence of this kind of botnet highlights the need for a continued security approach where DNS security capabilities on the network identify connection attempts to DGA domains behind public dynamic DNS services, as well as routers, switches, and firewalls that are capable of immediately isolating the compromised host from the rest of the network. And that's... That's a whole different conversation about identifying and responding to those threats immediately. However, um, you know, I agree. I, I think that we just, we, in the U.S. for so long, and I mean, even just globally too, uh, cybersecurity has kind of lacked behind quite a, quite a fair amount. And it's not so much the fact that people don't realize it's there, it's that people don't want to put the amount of money or they don't want to put the effort or time into securing their things until it's too late. And... I don't want to say that's that's the case for most companies, but however, um, a lot of the places I've that I have seen not not a lot, but a few of the places I've seen, that's kind of how their business model operates. And in reality, yeah, you know, it may be a good idea, it may save you money right here, right now. But what's going to happen whenever you get that nice fat fee or fine um, for having data leaked, for having PII uh, leaked out into the public, or having PHI? in the hands of someone who shouldn't have it, you know? So it's a long kind of twisty, windy road that a lot of people got to figure out and, and we're all trying to stay on top of this. But, you know, at the end of the day, the end of this podcast, all you need to walk away from is think a little bit more into the Zero Trust security framework because that is a massive help. And also keep an eye on these crazy rogue DVRs for recording uh, security surveillance systems. So that's all I have for the podcast today, guys. Thank you so much for checking it out. Um, updates to the to what's kind of going on. We are now on Google Podcasts. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and we are also on uh, 
reason.fm. So if you guys haven't checked us out anywhere, uh, feel free to go check those places out. We also have an RSS uh, feed up online that you can find on the website. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it, guys. So you guys take care. Have a great day. Enjoy the weekend. And look forward to next week where I get to talk about some more cybersecurity stuff. So you guys take care.